So for those of you who are uninitiated, <clears throat> in cult classic national treasure, Nick Cage, Benjamin Franklin Gates, is on a quest, running to and fro, dodging bullets, solving riddles, using his encyclopedic knowledge of American history, including its less generally known facts, Gates undertakes the most compelling search in history. At least until National Treasure 2 came out a few years later. <laughs> now, in this movie, Nick Cage is obsessed with his search, going so far very famously as to steal the Declaration of Independence, to have it help him on his journey. Now, the movie National Treasure, and really Nick Cage in general, is a little over the top, but that's okay, because it's really not the content of this movie that's the important thing. It's, it's really the search. It's the journey. It's the quest for this treasure of great importance at the end that really makes it compelling. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to assume that very few of us in here are treasure hunters. Although if you are, fair warning, you, if, you, and you, if you find something, you need to share with your pastors. It's very important. But even though we're not treasure hunters, we all do search for things. We're all looking for things. We all have questions that we want answers to. All of us have to find things from time to time. Now, most of the time, the things we're looking for are pretty normal. Maybe you misplaced your wallet this week. You couldn't find your cell phone or your TV remote fell between your couch cushions. Right? Most of our searching is like that. But sometimes there are things that we search for that are a little more important. Maybe you're here this morning and you are searching for peace. Maybe you're at church this morning because you're looking for a community. Perhaps you're trying to make sense of some trauma that happened in your past or you're trying to make sense of some loss in your life. Perhaps you have a question about faith or life that you're just really wrestling to answer. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're just trying to figure out how you're going to get through these next couple of weeks. We all search. We all have questions. We all have things that we're looking for. And we're thinking about searching this morning because that's something we all do, but we're also going to talk about a search that's not so much about something as it is someone. We're going to follow some biblical characters as they go on a search for the king as part of our series here at Rooftop, The Coming of the King. Now, you all know it's the Christmas season. That's why we have these cute little trees up here. That's why, Drew, I know you've been wondering. But more accurately than calling this the Christmas season, the time we're in right now is actually what Christians have called Advent. It's the time before Christmas. Advent is a word that comes from the Latin word for arrival or coming. And Christians call this time of year Advent because we are preparing for the coming of the King. We're preparing for the celebration of Christmas. Now, Christians don't celebrate Christmas every year just because Jesus was some important historical figure. Jesus is not like George Washington and Abe Lincoln, two other people whose birthdays we theoretically celebrate 
in this country. No, Christians celebrate Christmas because Jesus was the Son of God and because his arrival on earth and his work on earth was the turning point for all of history. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus came as a baby, but he didn't stay a baby. He grew up, and he died on a cross, and he was raised from the dead to conquer sin and suffering and Satan. And so when we celebrate Christmas, we remember who Jesus is and what he's done, and we also prepare ourselves. We prepare ourselves for his second coming when he comes back. And so in this season of remembrance and preparation here at Rooftop, we are looking at the coming of the king. We're looking at reactions to Jesus' first coming, what people felt and how they responded the first time Jesus arrived. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy talked to us about the prophets, those who were looking for the long-promised Messiah in the past. And last week, Pastor Matt talked to us about uh, those who were confused by the king, Mary and Joseph, who were confused at first, but then submitted and served the king. And in the weeks to come, we're going to look at the shepherds, and we're going to look at other people and how they responded to the coming of the king. But this morning, we're looking at people who were searching, who were searching for the king. And that is these characters known as the Magi, or you may have heard them called wise men. So follow along with me as I look at our passage for this morning, which occurs in Matthew chapter 2, where we hear about the visit of the wise men to Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, you've likely heard this story before, the story of the wise men who followed the star, first to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem to find the baby Jesus. And this is very clearly a story about searching. Like Nick Cage looking for a treasure, the Magi are looking for something. They're looking for Jesus. And we're going to dig into the Magi search and what it can tell us in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you why I was so excited to be preaching this morning. 
I was excited because this story of searching, the Magi's story of searching, is actually a really important part of my story of searching as well. You see, the story we just read is Matthew's version of the Christmas story. This is what Matthew has to tell us about the birth of Jesus, which isn't any sort of problem unless you grew up thinking that the Christmas story also involved shepherds and angels and barnyard animals and no room at an inn for Mary and Joseph, because Matthew doesn't mention any of that. When Matthew tells the story of the birth of Jesus, none of that happens. All of that happens in Luke's telling of the Christmas story. Now, I want to make sure we're really on the same page here. So hopefully you've noticed this before, but if you haven't, in Scripture we have two versions of Jesus' birth, and one, Matthew's, talks about the Magi, and the other, Luke's, talks about the shepherds. And in fact, if you look at the two versions of the Christmas story, they don't actually line up on that much. They're actually pretty different. Aside from basic things like Jesus being born to Mary and Joseph as the Messiah of Israel, Matthew and Luke really don't seem to be telling the same story. Now, the first time I encountered that reality, I was a little confused. In fact, I was more than a little confused. I was actually a little upset. Why would Matthew and Luke tell different Christmas stories? And sort of related, why on earth was I a teenager before I recognized this? Why did no one tell me about this beforehand? Neither here nor there. So in response to this question, I began a search. And my search, which was a version of what theologians call the quest for the historical Jesus, very quickly got out of hand. There was a lot to learn about. Me being me, I bought like 20 books and started reading them and trying to figure out what's going on here. What do we know about Jesus? What do we know about the Gospels? What do we know about why these two Christmas stories are different? And I read a lot. I took classes. One question led to another question led to another question. And I went on this years-long search to try to figure out what was going on. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about Jesus. I learned a lot about the Gospels and about the history of the Bible and the history of Christianity. And perhaps the most important thing for our purposes this morning that I learned was that Matthew and Luke's different Christmas stories are different, but they're not in contradiction. They're actually complementary. They're complementary retellings of one true story that emphasize different things for the sake of their audience. Matthew's audience would have been interested in one thing, and Luke's audience would have been interested in another, and that's why there are two versions of the Christmas story. And I came to that understanding through this thing called context. Context is all of the information that surrounds Scripture and helps us make sense of it. And as I dug into the history of, the, the, of Jesus and the historical Jesus, I dug into the importance of context, of learning about history and literature and language and theology and culture to make sense of what's going on. And that's why here at Rooftop, very often on a Sunday morning, you will see us put a map up on the screen. 
You will hear us mention a Greek word to you. We'll talk about history. It's because we believe very strongly that if we're going to understand and follow Scripture, we need to understand it in its context. And so as we talk about Matthew's telling of the Christmas story, as we talk about the search of the Magi this morning, as we talk about this story that's very important to my own search, I want us to make sure that we begin with a few key pieces of context. And the first of these, and perhaps the most important of these, is coming to terms with who these magi are. Now, perhaps like me, you've seen a Christmas card with three kings, you've watched The Little Drummer Boy, and you've seen uh, the the three wise men, right? Uh, But we really need to dig into who the magi actually are. Now, most modern Bibles translate this as wise men. That's the version we read today. Three wise men came to visit Jesus. But I actually think that's a bad translation. I think it's a bad translation because it over-sanitizes who it is coming to see Jesus. It makes it too neat and clean. Because when you read Matthew in Greek, Matthew was originally written in Greek, you run across this word to describe the wise men, and the word is magoi. And in Jesus' day, the word magoi meant something very specific, something very particular. It meant priests from Babylon or Persia who interpreted the stars. That's who the Magi are. And so when Matthew's readers originally hear this story, they hear about these Magi following the star to Jesus, and it makes complete and total sense to them because that's what Magi do. They follow stars. Now today we don't have a very good... uh, word to fit here, right? There aren't a whole lot of people who follow stars today in the same way that the Magi followed stars. Uh, And so there are ideas like astronomers kind of study stars. Uh, Maybe a little better is the word astrologer. But there's another word that fits who the Magi were, and that's the word magician. In fact, the same word that Matthew uses here gets used later in the New Testament, gets used in the book of Acts to describe this character named Simon the Magician. And so when we look at the Christmas story in context, we see that the Magi aren't philosophers or kings or just generally wise people. They're probably not even a particular kind of God-fearing pagan. They're magicians. They're priests from Babylon or Persia who interpret the stars. That is who is coming to see Jesus. That is the group of people that Matthew says comes searching for the king. Now, at this point, we need to ask ourselves a very, very important question, and that is, how many magi are there in this story? Three, or we don't know. That's actually the correct answer. We don't know how many magi there are because Matthew doesn't tell us. Matthew gives us no number. We're we're certain there are more than one, uh, but we don't know how many more than one. It's verse 11 that we usually use. There are three gifts. So very oftentimes we'll say, oh, there are three wise men, right? There are three kings of Orient who are coming to visit Jesus. But Matthew doesn't tell us. All Matthew tells us about the wise men, all Matthew tells us about the magi is that they come from the east to Jerusalem looking for the king. It's also reasonable to assume that they were not in the company of a little drummer boy. Uh, 
And another piece of context that we need to consider as we look at this Christmas story is who this Herod the King fellow is. Because if the Magi are looking for a king, one of the first people they meet is a king, King Herod. Now, what you need to know about Herod is that uh, he's not a very nice guy. He was a client king. He was not Jewish. He was put in place by the Romans over the people of Israel, uh, over Israel and Judea. So he's kind of ruling this half of the map over here. And by the time the Christmas story happens, Herod has been ruling for about 30 years. And he's not very nice, and he's not very popular. In fact, other historical sources confirm what Matthew says later in this chapter, where Matthew tries to kill Jesus. That seems like something Herod would do. Herod killed at least one of his wives and several of his children in an attempt to consolidate his power. But when the Magi show up, they're not convinced by King Herod. They don't really care that much about King Herod. They're not looking for a fake king. They're looking for the real king. They're looking for this newborn king, this future king. And this is really the crux of why Matthew is telling us this story as part of his Christmas story. Because the Magi just weren't looking for any king. They were looking for the true king. They were looking for the king who was actually going to do what he said he was going to do. And this means a lot for us today as well. This is part of Matthew's message that is really important for us because it tells us that we, like the Magi, can know that those who search for the true king will find him. Those who search for the true king will find him. See, the Magi had a lot to do. They had to travel a great distance. They encountered uh, disruptions and distractions, but they didn't let that prevent them from diligently searching for the king. They searched, and they found him. And the same is true for us today. Those of us who are searching, those of us who are searching for the true king can find him. This is actually a really consistent theme throughout Scripture. I can hit you with some Bible verses here. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 says, From there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart, and with all your soul. Proverbs 25 tells us that it's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. Likewise, Isaiah 55 calls us to seek the Lord while he may be found and to call upon him when he is near. And even when our search isn't going great, Lamentations 3 says that the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. You see, again and again and again in Scripture, we see this big idea that we see in this story, too. That those searching for the true king will find him. And it's really important to remember who the Magi are as we make sense of this. Because it's in their search for the king that these Magi, that these magicians, that these people who are not following God communicate something really important to us. That no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your religious background is, what you've done in the past, irrespective of your gender, your class, your race, your ethnicity, your identity, no matter how much information you know, anyone who searches for the king can find him. 
This is the message of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, that anyone who follows Jesus can be saved. Not just people who look a certain way or do certain things or come from a specific background. Everyone who encounters Jesus can be saved. Those who search for the king will find him. This is the crux of our message today. This is the important thing. If you only remember one thing as you walk out today, remember this slide. Those searching for the true king will find him. You, when you search for the true king, you can find him. Let's follow the example of the Magi. We can search and we can find the king that we're looking for. Now, as anyone who has spent any length of time searching for something knows, there are good ways to search for things, and there are bad ways to search for things. And so for the rest of our time together this morning, I want us to think about some lessons on searching that we can learn from the Magi. Now, here at Rooftop, there are certain things we value, certain things that are important to us. Serious searching, for example, being willing to ask hard questions and come to difficult answers, we value that. We think that's important. We want to encourage and celebrate people who seriously search. But another thing we really value here at Rooftop is mnemonic devices and sermons. <laughs> like alliterating your points or spelling a word with what you're trying to say, right? And so I've got to confess, I tried really hard this week to make magi work because you know, those are the people searching for Jesus. But alas, I possess not the creative genius of our dear Pastor Matt. And so we are stuck with <clears throat> wisdom for wandering with the wise men. And, and yes, every point starts with W. So, fair warning. So our first lesson is we wander with the wise men is that we need to watch for signs. We need to watch for signs. We need to observe what's going on around us, take stock of reality and the data that we have access to. This is what the wise men do. Verse two, they say, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. They paid attention, they saw what was going on. They observed that something important was occurring. I've recently been reading a book called The Grand Design by late theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking. It's a really interesting book, both for its scientific contributions and for its worldview presentation. But one of the big ideas of the book, perhaps the biggest point of the book, is the importance of observation. Modern science is all about reproducible observation and the construction of theories about the universe that make sense of those observations. In other words, modern science is all about watching for signs. It's all about observing what's going on and adjusting your view of the universe accordingly. And so all of, as all of us are making sense of reality, as we are going through life searching and asking questions and looking for answers, we also need to watch for signs. We need to pay attention to what is going on in the world. We need to pay attention to what's going on internally, what dreams and desires we have been given. We need to pay attention to what's going on externally, 
what people we trust tell us, what doors and opportunities are opened for us. We need to pay attention to our pain. We need to pay attention to the little details of life. Now, I'm not saying that every little thing that happens is going to be a sign from God. Personally, I'm actually a little skeptical that most of us get stars in the heavens to direct our path. But we can still learn a lot. We can still watch for signs by paying attention and reflecting on the things that are going on around us. So watch for signs. The second lesson for us as we search, as we wander with the wise men, is that we need to work for answers. We need to do what needs to be done to find what we're looking for or to come to an answer to our question. This is actually the bulk of what our passage is about today. In verse 1, the wise men travel to Jerusalem. In verse 2, they ask for help. In verses 3 through 6, they, we learn that they hear from Scripture about what's going on. In verses 8 and 9, they persevere and they continue their search. They bring it to its completion. Most of our passage for this morning is talking about how the wise men didn't just magically show up and have all of their answers. It's about how they had to work for it. How they had to put the time and energy and effort into answering their question of where the newborn king is. Have you ever really had to work to answer a question in your life? Many of you know that Rooftop is in the process of planting a new church. It's called Arise. It's coming to Fenton in 2020. And one of the things that is very true about church plants is you have a lot of questions to answer. A very important one of which is, where are you meeting on Sundays? I get asked that all the time. I was asked that this morning. Where are you guys going to meet? And we've put in a lot of work to answer that question. We've done demographic studies. We've driven around. We've emailed and made phone calls to dozens and dozens of potential places to meet. We've visited lots of those places. We've had follow-up conversations with people. We've looked at paperwork. We've done a lot of praying. We've done a lot of seeking. We've put in hours and hours and hours of work trying to answer a question that we still don't have an answer to, but it's coming. Because that's what you do with questions that are important. That's what you do to find the best answer to a question you have to complete a search. You put in lots of work. Now, few of you, I assume, are looking for church buildings, but we all have questions that we need to answer. We all have things we're trying to find. Maybe you're here this morning and you're trying to learn more about God or how God communicates to you. Maybe you're trying to make sense of something, that, some difficulty that's going on in your life. Maybe you've got questions about how you're going to make it through the Christmas season and not be bankrupt or not be stressed. Maybe you're here and you're trying to find answers to something that happened in your past or you're trying to figure out an uncertainty in your future. Whatever it is, whatever question you're working through, dig in. Do the hard work of answering that question. Talk to an advisor, a mentor, a pastor, or an elder. Go sit down with a counselor or a therapist if you need to. Get help. Study the scriptures, read a book, listen to a podcast, do some online research. Persevere until you have answered the question that you have in your life. Guys, there's nothing wrong with having questions. 
there's actually not even anything wrong with having an unanswered question. In this context, the only thing that's wrong is when you have a question that you're not working to answer. So work for answers. And the third lesson for us as we search, the third thing we need to know about wandering with the wise men is that we need to worship when we find the king. That is, when we get to the end of our search, we find what we're looking for. We need to respond appropriately. Look again at verses 10 and 11. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasured treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, when the wise men got to the end of their journey, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is actually a phrase that stretches the, the limits of language. It means something like, uh, the Magi were the mostest, joyfulest, joyous people who ever joyed. <laughs> That's their reaction. They are thrilled when they find Jesus. They're so excited. They come in. They worship him. They bring these sacrificial gifts and give them to him. They honor Jesus with their presence and with their gifts. They are thrilled that their search is done. When was the last time that you rejoiced exceedingly with great joy? When was the last time since the Blues won the Stanley Cup <laughs> that you rejoiced exceedingly with great joy? At more to the point, when was the last time you rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because of God? Or because of something God has done in your life? Now, maybe you're better at this than me, and I, I mean that with all sincerity. Perhaps you are genuinely better at this than me because I actually do a really bad job of joyfully rejoicing when God does something. I do a bad job of being thankful when I come to an end of my search. You see, for me, it seems like I would much rather get excited about, I don't know, the next episode of The Mandalorian than I would about it being Christmas that I would much rather waste time on social media than do an Advent devotional with my family. Far too often, I would rather stay busy with all the things going on in my life than to pause for five measly minutes and give God thanks for all the things he's done in my life. But that's not what we're supposed to do. That's not how I'm supposed to live. I'm supposed to respond. I'm supposed to rejoice and what God has done. You see, it's here in verses 10 and 11, it's here at the end of the Magi search that I think we actually see the whole main point of the story. The main point of the story is not to follow the wise men. It's actually to follow the one that they're pointing to. We're supposed to follow the king. Yeah, the wise men have some things to teach us about searching. They have some things to teach us about how we can come to answers in our lives. But if that's all we focus on, we miss the point. We miss the point that there is one who is greater than the wise men who we are supposed to follow. The king. Don't get so preoccupied in your searching that you get lost. 
Don't get so obsessed with asking questions that you forget to find the answers. Find your answers. End your search. End it with the king. The God of the universe came down from heaven to earth as a baby, and he reigns now as king. And we have got to live like that's true. We've got to respond appropriately. We've got to worship. We've got to sacrifice. We need to rejoice exceedingly with great joy, not just at what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but what he's doing now, too. Remember, those searching for the true king will find him. What are you going to do to join in that search as we prepare for his coming this Christmas season? Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for sending King Jesus into our world. Thanks for giving us hearts and minds to seek him, to search, to ask questions, to reason with our minds about this great creation and about the glory of your Son. Father, in this season of Advent, in this time you've given us to remember and to prepare for Jesus' arrival, I ask that you would give us boldness Give us confidence and give us perseverance to ask hard questions and to find hard answers. Empower us to search, to really and truly search like the Magi did. Help us to make it through the busyness and the stressfulness of this season with a renewed focus on the coming King. Lord, may we rejoice May we rejoice exceedingly with great joy at all that you have done and at all you continue to do in and through and for us. And we ask all these things in the name of King Jesus, who has come and is coming again.